We are back here on the Soccer OG World Cup Daily. Check out the Soccer OG World Cup Daily podcast where all podcasts are available. Check us out here on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. Please like and subscribe the videos here. Like and subscribe them. I know you, you, rip, you rip through them and you, you maybe forget to hit that little thumbs up. So hit that thumbs up because it makes a difference. Get to a wider audience. We appreciate everyone who's tuning in. Get it. And leave some questions. We're getting some nice discourse there. Not just here, but on my social media handles. There they are. Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And I'll be happy to answer the questions there on my accounts. It's, uh, we're, we're getting down to the, uh, the business end, as we like to say here on the Soccer OG. A reminder that we are presented by our fine sponsors at Farmer John. Curators of wonderful bacon and pork links, which I had this morning, which taste again like a, a bag of Skittles. It's like sweet candy. Absolutely delicious. Farmer John, a great product. Start your day every World Cup day throughout the duration. And uh, uh, Brett, who's helping me with the production here, I believe said this is show 17 or 19. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. The, the, the finish line slightly coming into view, still a ways out, and we're going to get some breaks here. But we're not going anywhere. We'll be here. We're going to have some great guests starting tomorrow for the rest of the week. So tune in for that. Very excited about having a little more time to, to chat. But as again, our promise here is to keep things nice and tight. So we'll get into it. Before we get into the games, we are going to have, I think, our final exit interview about the U.S. men's national team. We talked about the defeat. We talked about... The players and what comes next. Now let's talk about Greg Berhalter, who's going to be out of contract here at the end of this year. Uh, had a very successful cycle. I don't think you could uh, describe it any other way. Uh, very, very low bar taking over after the 2018 World Cup. Obviously didn't qualify for that. After a, a cumbersome start to things where he was very experimental and he came in hot. We all remember that. And then he adjusted the way he was going to do all of this, uh, settled it nicely, won some trophies there in uh, 2021, uh, the Nations League, and then the Gold Cup, putting themselves ahead of Mexico. You could say Canada's the number one team in the region. I don't think we're, we're quite ready to say that, even though they finished number one in qualifying. And of course, Greg Berhalter got us qualified uh, for the World Cup. So yeah, and he got us to the round of 16, which is never guaranteed, right? It's a good cycle. We start with Greg, who said, the next couple weeks, I'll clear my head. I'll sit down and think. This is, you know, obviously a big decision for him. And uh, remember, he was with the, uh, yo the youngest team in World Cup qualifying at four of the five youngest starting lineups at one point. You also go into this situation about going into a second cycle. So... American coaches have not had a good run when they go into the second cycle. In case you're not familiar, you have a four-year cycle for the World Cup, and usually that's enough. But there's successful stories. Currently, right now, Fernando Santos of Portugal, who we'll see tomorrow. Gareth Southgate has had two cycles. Didier Deschamps, is he on his third cycle? I mean, but they're all doing very well. But that's not always the case. And certainly here in the United States, Bora Milutinovic, who was the man in charge in 94, he was out in 1995. You had uh, Bruce Arena, who was so successful in 2002, stood around for a second cycle, and the U.S. bombed out of the World Cup in 2006. Uh, Bob Bradley, after the 2010 World Cup, was out in 2011, in the beginning of his cycle, because Jurgen Klinsmann took over. And then, whether you want to agree with this or not, 
Jurgen Klinsmann, after getting us to the 2014 World Cup, started his second cycle, and things went, it was the beginning of the end. Jurgen Klinsmann did a lot of great things, but you cannot deny the fact that having from 2015, when he was replaced again by Bruce Arena, we were... I mean, there was a lot of things wrong with the U.S., but that is the point you can stick to. And here we are. So, based on what I told you, I mean, that's basically four of the last five managers, no? And they were all given second cycles to some degree, and it all went wrong. So, does he want a second cycle? Do the U.S. want to do a second cycle? I would imagine they are, U.S. soccer is confident enough. You know, the eyes turn to Ernie Stewart, who is the sporting director. I did want to give you this quote that he said that... Uh, we uh, we're prepared. Uh, oh, I got this wrong. We are. We got people moving on culture. We uh, didn't. Want, he didn't give any comments right afterwards, but he did kind of say prior to the World Cup of what they were looking for, what were the specifics on what they want to do in this next very important cycle leading to 2026. Are we closer to a breakthrough? This is the cycle, right? And obviously, if uh, Greg Berhalter decides to, to continue or if U.S. soccer gives him the green light, well, uh, we might all explode, right? Let's face it, that kind of carried the weight in this cycle is the displeasure towards Greg Berhalter. And I think a lot of people have, have been a little more fair with him, seen on how this has gone. He made some mistakes, uh, but he did some good things too. Obviously, the tactical mistakes are being uh, held up here at the top of the list, certainly you can be critical of him the way they ran out of steam against the Netherlands. The question there is they ran Anthony Robinson and Serginho Dest into the ground and Christian Pulisic to a lesser degree. They ran them into the ground and those fullbacks, let's just focus on those two. You know, by the time the Netherlands came around, you could see it. They were just spent. Both made a big mistake. I remember at the end, the optics, they looked like they couldn't wait for halftime. They were spent. But the question is, how do you rest them when you every game was so important in the groups? How do you sit these guys out when they're so important to what the U.S. does? You can't. And maybe that's on Greg for not getting better options. They had DeAndre Yedlin and Shaq Moore and Joe Scalley didn't see the field. Uh, I'd like to think we have better fullbacks. We have very good young fullbacks coming in, which we are excited. We have good wide players. And uh, that's something that you would like to see. So these guys have a little bit left for the knockouts. Look you got to win seven games to win the World Cup. We're seeing it right now. Deep teams will advance. Teams that don't have depth are in big trouble. Uh, you can see England, France, Brazil, all pushing along here. Uh, obviously, Argentina and the Netherlands fit the bill as well to a lesser degree. Croatia. Um, set pieces. What was this whole thing with the set piece coach? This was a nightmare. This didn't get better. So we were told about this set piece coach and set pieces got uh, considerably worse. I was watching the Japan game. Man, they're, re they're really good at crossing the ball. They have this curvature and every ball they played in was threatening. One out of every 10 for the US is threatening. So obviously missed the boat there on personnel, also on how to do it. I mean, if there's a set piece coach, you figure there'd be some nuance and there wasn't. So that's another area of concern. Uh, lack of scoring. Did you bring in the right options because we scored so few goals? Uh, three in total. Uh, very few guilt edge chances. 
Was it a mistake not to bring in Ricardo Pepe? I don't know. Or Jordan Pifak? I don't know if that would have changed anything. There were so many things that uh, weren't really clicking. Uh, good news. No goals in open play in the group stages. The only team to say that. And the Netherlands game to me was more just a, a running out of fuel and just getting caught and paying a very heavy price for mistakes. But defensively, watertight. I think we can also give him credit on selections, in this case, for the roster selection, because people were worried that they would, you know, it would be Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman. He brought Tim Ream out of the wilderness. And Tim Ream was very appreciative for that opportunity and has re repeatedly said about how you can't take anything for granted. He brought Tim Ream in. He stuck with Matt Turner and Zach Steffen was completely off the radar. He brought in Josh Sargent and Haji Wright right at the end. And I think this was a sign that he says he is willing to adjust. He's not going to go into the World Cup roster and say, all right, this is the way we're doing it. And the guys that many people were worried about starting wouldn't get in there. Jesus Fernandez is another one. And yeah, he did start against the Netherlands. Uh, it was a calculated risk. It didn't fall into place. But that's a positive. And what else is a positive? And... We can't say for sure about the roster, the players. I mean, they're very happy with Greg. They have all stood by him. The guys, there have been a couple players or not who didn't make the roster. We've heard from them. Gio Reyna will have to see what his exit interview is like. But these players are happy. Maybe because they don't know anything different. This is the coach and they, they can express themselves. You can see it when they're together. They get along well. Greg tries to be one of the guys and he generally succeeds. But he committed to a young team, and by the end of this journey, they uh, were delivering these young players. He put, the, he put the burden on their shoulders, and they responded. That whole young core that we hope to see in 2026, in Pulisic, and Musa, and Adams, and Aronson, and Weya, Gio Reyna, we won't include him there, but certainly that's a guy included in the big picture, and uh, we've seen him improve. Uh, as a national team player, albeit not at the World Cup. So doing well with the young players is a positive. Now, does Greg Barlton want to come back? And I said on yesterday's program that he, uh, he could be in, uh, in the crosshairs for some European clubs. Granted, not a team like West Ham or Crystal Palace or a mid-table in La Liga or maybe the Bundesliga. But we saw Jesse Marsh get started in Austria and... I think there's a pathway, and I think he's looking at Jesse Marsh saying, I want that, and I think with how he uses his tactics and plays, he wants to be able to do it week in, week out with a club. Obviously, he is a no-brainer to come back to Major League Soccer and coach, but I think he wants to see that European journey. This is the moment. He is in demand. I can assure you that, and I'll tell you why. Because... A, he has a lot of good contacts. We've seen that with Gareth Southgate. All the coaches, Carlos Quiros, Rob Page, all spoke very highly with him. Maybe it's lip service, but they all spoke very highly of what Greg is doing. Louis Van Gaal as well, afterwards, after he did take a shot at him, uh, he did speak highly of what Greg is doing. So Europe is taking notice, and what they're noticing is that he's good with young players. There's a lot of teams out there that have young squads, and they want a coach who they know has a track record with young players. It's that simple. Greg Berhalter has that. So uh, we'll see what the, he's built a good foundation. Whoever takes over, if there is someone who takes over, I can assure you is going to go, okay, this, this house has been kept. This is better certainly than what we could have expected a little bit ago. 
the U.S. will get right to it, by the way. They have a couple games in January in Los Angeles against Serbia on the 25th and then Colombia on the 28th. They have those Nation League games in March. So someone will have to get in there pretty quick. Let us say that Greg Berhalter doesn't take the job. He is out of contract. We'll have to see. It's the easy way for the U.S. to do it, but there have been, I mean, they're, they're trying not to make past mistakes. But I do believe that it's a big, de- the big decision might be made by Greg Berhalter because uh, they have to, look, they don't want to just leave all of this progress. There is progress there. It is. And the round of, making the round of 16 was proof of concept. If he decides not to come, what kind of manager do you get? I obviously, uh, I mean, I believe you, most coaches, most nations stick to uh, a national team guy, an American in this case. Or if you veer off on the international route, um, it, it could get you out of the comfort zone. There are some good American candidates. I don't know if Jesse Marsh is leaving unless he loses the Leeds job. A Jim Curtin, Steve Chirundolo. We just don't know. Those guys have got a nice trajectory in front of them. But what about the big name European coach that is specific to national teams? Like a Louis Van Hall. Maybe Louis Van Hall, hopefully his health gets better, uh, is a guy that can do it. Carlo Ancelotti, I heard him mentioned by the men in Blazers. I don't know. He'd be incredible. You know, a guy who knows about bringing this together for a national team. Uh, we've heard Marcelo Bielsa's name. Roberto Martinez, who just departed ways with Belgium and has some American connections. A guy like that would uh, please a lot of people. Jürgen Love, who won a World Cup with Germany. Remember him? <laughs> Great track record. National team uh, savant. So there's certainly that that uh, they, can, they can certainly do. And now they're going to have to get ready to find a good number nine and keep working on this and fill out the calendar like we said on yesterday's show. Um... This is going to be an interesting couple of weeks. And we'll talk about it when a decision is made, which probably, uh, I imagine, off the, after the holidays. Probably right after the holidays, right before January 1st, some decision has to be made. That doesn't give you a lot of time. So a uh, quick thought about the tournament before we go into the recaps and the previews. We are, it feels like, further away from a breakthrough in the round of 16 where we can see a non-UEFA powerhouse slash Brazil-Argentina making the quarterfinals are better. We talked about the United States uh, winning a World Cup or an African team winning a World Cup. It's not happening anytime soon. We could, if it was going to happen, it would have happened in this tournament. Instead, what we have seen, it, all the heavy teams, even Japan, who was a kind of like a push with Croatia, Croatia just taking control late and winning in penalties clean. It was, uh, it was pretty bad. Japan was the best hope. I think Japan, out of all the teams has the best chance of making a semifinal or further. This may have been an opportunity. Granted, they would have ran into Brazil next. But this Japanese team is further along with so many European-based players and a great system that uh, that would be the best bet. But the fact that... By the way, and if the U.S. did make the quarterfinals, and I know that's a far cry, but they were more competitive than Senegal or Korea, uh, more, more uh, than Poland... And maybe not Australia. Maybe not Australia. But imagine the USA get through and they're in the quarterfinals with all the heavy hitters. Then you could start thinking about it. I mean, the U.S. were really close to having, being the, the last of the, the Mohicans, so to speak. The last one there that is representing the rest of the world. I think they're a rung below Japan right now. But 
I thought this would be a World Cup like Korea. It's not going to happen. We have Morocco and, I mean, Switzerland would be a nice story, but they're part of the U UEFA apparatus. Morocco, we'll talk about them in a little bit, but, I mean, you can't really hold their breath in the way it's going. Why would you think any of these teams, Morocco did very well in the groups, and maybe they are the best bet, and that would give us all hope. But Korea, where we had all those teams in the, like Korea making the semis and Senegal and the U.S. in the quarterfinals, we're nowhere near that. We're actually moving backwards. 2010, we had Paraguay in the uh, quarterfinals, Uruguay in the semifinals. I put Uruguay with the rest of these teams. Uh, USA made the round of 16, so some life. That was in South Africa, so maybe that's part of the reason. That's why I thought Qatar would have a similar effect. And then in Brazil, too, with the Costa Rica getting through and um, a couple of, you know, Colombia. I think that's a, it's not really a, a, a huge mandate for teams making their way through. So here we are. Right now, we have in tw uh, 2018, the, the round, the quarterfinals were six European teams, Uruguay and Brazil, and yet all four semifinalists were European 2022, we are down to one non-European slash Argentina-Brazil team. Now, I love an underdog. I love the underdog. So I'm disappointed we didn't have that. However, after a while, you wipe away the disappointment and then you look at the bracket and you see the Netherlands-Argentina. You see England and France. You see Brazil and Croatia. You see, if you have a really good final group stage, then if it, the upsets happen there, it's like the NCAA tournament. If you have the upsets here, then this goes chalky, and then maybe the quarterfinals are going to be good. It all comes out in the wash. It's just a little bit out of order. The Soccer OG World Cup Daily coming up. We'll talk about Brazil, the emphatic 4-1 victory over Korea. We will preview Portugal and Ronaldo. Is he going to play? That's coming up next on the Soccer OG World Cup Daily. Subscribe. We are back here on the Soccer OG World Cup Daily. Before we get into the games, did see an unfortunate story that England players are now protecting their homes with guard dogs and 24-hour security, making sure they're not being targeted here. This stems from the situation with Raheem Sterling where his house was robbed. He had to go back to check on his family. Very unfortunate situation. Unfortunately, everyone knows where these players live and they kind of have to live with this uh, fear every day. It's a messed up world we live in and... He's got to be really careful, so be careful out there, everyone. Uh, but, you know, hopefully that doesn't disrupt things too much. But obviously it's a distraction, but you get distractions in the World Cup. We just don't want anyone to get hurt or shook too much. So we shall see. Let's get to the games. Japan and Croatia, the first game of the day. This was Japan, a result of winning their group. Uh, I told you Japan is uh, better equipped to maybe make a deep run. Missed opportunity here. Back-to-back -back rounds of 16. They, they were up two goals on Belgium four years ago. They were up here against Croatia. This is, this is a nation that uh, beats Germany, that beats Spain. You know, this is what I say about the United States. I mean, how can we sit here? I'm sorry, I'm going off topic. How can we sit here and say we're going to win a World Cup when we never beat Germany and we never beat Spain? I don't care if they're having a down year. We just don't beat those teams. We beat Algeria. And Iran. How could we say we're going to win a World Cup when we never beat those teams? Japan did it, and it would have been incredible to add Croatia to the list. Almost. 
Uh, great goal by Dyson Maeda, who uh, leads the line so well. He is the Celtic. You could, he's got the shaved head. He, uh, as I said, Japan's so good with their crosses. This was a, an indirect result of a cross. I don't know what they're doing, but if we're going to get a set-piece coach, maybe we can have a crossing coach from Japan. I just don't know. Every ball looks menacing, and it certainly was the case here. Their wide players in Ito were constantly bombing up there, making uh, an impact. Croatia did get a great second half. They got the goal from Ivan Pedisic, fantastic header, also off a ball in. And Croatia really hammered it down. 60% possession in that, in that game. Uh, felt like they were going to get close to winning it, but it ended 1-1. It went to extra time. Croatia, a little bit of concern here because they did get a goal. And they did get those goals against Canada. But other than that, no goals against Belgium and no goals against Maroc. So, scoring goals, a bit of a concern. I also want to talk about Luka Modric. And, and I, I don't like the fact that, I, I mean, Danny Alves being here and these guys getting a fifth World Cup, it's a nice story, but it's just, they're not, the lesser players like this, the better. You know, this is, a, this is where you spring new players and uh, unless that guy is critical and, you know, Danny Alves is not, and uh, you know guys like Luis Suarez, even though they had a nice little final game there, I, I, I wonder if you go a different direction, things would have ended better for Uruguay. You could have an older guy as long as it's singular and you protect him. And Croatia's doing a great job of that with Luka Modric. They pulled him out uh, in that game. They know they got to balance the minutes. They protect him. Other guys do some running in that midfield for him. They put him in positions where he doesn't have to make a big tackle or get in any entanglements. Argentina does a similar thing with Lionel Messi, and it's working. Case in point, they're both into the quarterfinals. We went into uh, penalties, and we were wondering how this would look, and it looked very bad for Japan. And Dominic Livakovic, who plays at Dinamo Zagreb. I mean, he's not a young goalie. We talked about the young players emerging from Croatia. Not a young player, and three saves. Three saves in the shootout. It was right. First two were missed. And it was over. We didn't have to go the full five. Japan out in an instant. Croatia, clinical, ruling with an iron fist in that game to make sure they move on. And they're going to play Japan. I don't know how they can get up from this. Uh, I think fatigue and emotional drain is, uh, you know, the last rites for a lot of these teams, including Korea, which we'll talk about here in a moment. But uh, who knows? Croatia are a tournament specialist. It's going to be fun to watch as we, we move forward into that game. Again, we get great quarterfinals, um, although Brazil will be a big favorite. Uh, Brazil taking on Korea. This was certainly an advertisement on why we shouldn't have a 48-team World Cup. Maybe we should go back to a 24-team World Cup. These round of 16 games have been, uh, with a couple exceptions, very poorly contested. And by the way, really good article by Sid Lowe from The Guardian about Ronaldo. Ronaldo Fenomeno, and how playing at this level took it out of him. He said, the pressure pushed me ever further down. It had a cost. And he had a seizure before the 2000 World Cup final against France. You know, I know that's a story that's gone out, but can you imagine uh, the pressure and all that getting to before the final of a game? And obviously the French won that game, that Ronaldo had it. So uh, a nice read there about the pressure. And he's obviously a beloved player. Uh, legendary player, not only in Brazil, but around the world. We also have to talk about Brazil. Pele, we're all thinking about him. Uh, and I've heard some stories that 
paint a really bad picture, but then you hear some, I don't know, they're a bit conflicting that uh, he watched the game and he's fighting and we hope uh, that there is a good ending for this. We can't lose Pele after we lost Maradona. Um, it'd be very difficult for this world of football, uh, football. And also, the, uh, we have to talk about Bolsonaro, right? I mean, the, the former president of Brazil looms large because of the relationships we have with these players. It's causing a rift between some of the Brazilian public and the players who many are uh, Bolsonaro uh, supporters. So there's a lot there when you read. I go online to Globo Sport and read what's happening in Brazil with the best I can in Portuguese. And uh, there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. And it's certainly applying pressure on this Brazilian team. Korea had Kim Min-jae back. Didn't really do much. Uh, Vinicius scoring in the seventh minute. Neymar in the 13th off a penalty. It was really hard done by Korea. The defender didn't even see what was happening. and um, It was given very quickly. I guess it's the right decision, but I don't know. And then he Charlison scoring in the 29th minute. Beautiful combination. I think it was Casemiro. Uh, getting involved, Vinny, and then uh, the Vinicius goal was great too. He was like throw, throwing a dart into the top corner. So he Hichalison scores, and then uh, Lucas Paqueta, and it was four zip at the half. A goal pulled back in the second half uh, a by uh, Korea. Pike Sung Ho, one of the many players who calls Jeonbuk Motors home. Uh, they've got quite a team there in Korea, and that's why they're always in the FIFA Club World Cup. Uh, this was uh, just the cathartic moment for Brazil after only scoring three goals defensively they're so good and by the way you know what's amazing when they lose a ball how quickly they get it back the transition games they suffocated the Koreans this could have been five or six at halftime they were lucky it was just four and I think the Brazilians pulled you know pulled on the parking brake to slow things down which allowed Korea to get back in it oh this could have been really really bad the uh the Brazilians had that cathartic moment. And then they danced. And they danced and they danced. And that has been the big story coming out of here. Uh, the most talked about situation. Roy Keane. Surprise, surprise. Uh, can't believe what I'm watching. I've never seen so much dancing. Disrespectful to opposition. Yeah, it's, it probably is. But I think because it was so cathartic, the Brazilians had to celebrate. And it's a cultural thing whether you accept that as an answer or not. I will say after the fourth goal, I was like, uh, but I was okay with the fourth goal. If they did this up to fifth or sixth, then obviously you're like, you know, enough of the dancing. But the flip side, Brazil could score more goals in the second half and they didn't. And, you know, that tells you that's respecting the opponent in many ways because the team that played in the first half, certainly you could see came out differently in the second half and that allowed Korea to keep their dignity in, uh, as we said, we should have seen this coming. The emotions spent by Korea in the Portugal victory and in the Ghana defeat. And I talked about this yesterday, but remember in the defeat to Ghana, Paulo Bento got a red card. That just tells you how emotionally wrought this country has been. And Son Heung-min had too much on his shoulders. They had a great tournament. They had this great memory with the win over Portugal. But I think we, you know, hindsight, we all knew this was going to happen. And Brazil ran right through them. Let us get to the games for tomorrow. Tomorrow, Morocco and Spain. La Roja. Uh, the Royal Moroccan Football Federation distributed free tickets to Moroccan fans. They're the last Arab team in there. And they have a lot of fans in Qatar. Not the longest trip. 
but there's not enough tickets allocated. So they're doing their part. Uh, the Moroccans have created quite an atmosphere, but they could do so much more. Uh, Morocco and Spain, by the way, separated by the Straits of Gibraltar. I mean, only in Europe, only Portugal and France are in closer proximity to Spain than Morocco. Many of you know that, I'm sure, with your uh, knowledge of geography. So these are countries that are very close. There are, uh, there's a lot of ties that bind. There's, um, many of the Moroccan players are born elsewhere, in Canada, France, Spain, Netherlands, Italy, Belgium. One of the players, uh, Ashraf Hakimi, was born in Spain. So there are some connections there. It's a great opportunity for Africa. And Morocco has uh, been just brilliant with beating Belgium, nil-nil with Croatia, beating Canada, winning this group. And here we are. Help us, Morocco. You're our only hope, as Princess Leia would say. So um, this is the second time they've made it. In 1986, the Maradona World Cup, they made the round of 16. They won their group. And I'm trying to remember, Portugal was in that group. I mean, they had, all three were European teams. And they, uh, they were able to get through. But then they lost to West Germany in the round of 16. 1-0. West Germany went all the way to the final. They just got a bad opponent in the round of 16. You shouldn't get to face West Germany in 1986 if you win your group. But unfortunately, that is what happened. Uh, a nice story here that we haven't really uh, dug in enough. But Valid Regregi, the uh, Moroccan coach, uh, after these really unsavory stories about Vahid Ali Zahodzic and an abusive relationship when he was in charge of Morocco, they made the change. At the times, a couple Moroccan players, high-profile ones, had left the camp, including Hakim Ziyech. And now he's come back and he is happy. Um, uh, Regregui said this about Ziyech. A lot of people say he's difficult to deal with. If you give him love and confidence, he is prepared to die for you. So Regregui has been a real story here. Changing the formation to 5-2-3 to 4-3-3. Ziyech has, uh, has emerged. Ashraf Hakimi has been the best player at his position. Watch him play. He's an absolute joy. There's a lot of game winners there for this Morocco team. But they're playing Spain. Should have won their group. Uh, there's some questions with Spain. Uh, you have Alvaro Morata who is averaging a goal a game. And you have to wonder if this team has the eye of the Tiger. So Spain, uh, Luis Enrique, Lucho Ball in full effect here. They have, uh, I mean, he demands a lot from this team. But as we said, you know, as he's got this daily stream going, he gives them some leeway. And since he's taken over, they made the semifinals of the Euros and he made a final of the Nations League. So Spain is on the up and up. But man, in that Japan game, they uh, disappeared. And the Germany game, they tied 1-1. Same kind of situation. So you'd be crazy to put Spain on the same level as Brazil, France, England, who have been consistent and getting results along the way. I mean, Spain dropped results, dropped points in two games. I mean, they walk out of there with four points, and that's not great. Spain should be getting at the minimum seven points. So we'll see how this. I think it's going to be tightly contested. I'm going to stick with Spain. Uh, I'll say they win it 2-1, but we'll have a fun game here. That, you know, like Brazil-Korea and the Senegal-England game, you know, you're looking around for stuff to do in the second half. I started preparing for this show. There's nothing else I could do. The late game, Portugal-Switzerland. The big story, 
Ronaldo. Everything is about Ronaldo in Portugal. It's got to be driving this team crazy. There's a deal with Al Nasser, a proposed 200 million a year. And I don't believe he's accepted it yet. I think there were some reports that said, I'm not uh, ready to say it. Uh, Fabrizio Romano breaking that story. I read it from his account. It would be until 2023, 2025, 200 million a year. Do the math. My question with these, this Saudi uh, situation. If he says no, I mean, what's to say they don't come back and say 300 million a year? I mean, the money's just bottomless. Wasn't the Live Golf Tour, there was a report that they were going to offer Tiger Woods 708, and Saudi company, 700, 800 million to play in that. So deep pockets. So if he says no, but if he says no to 200 million, it probably means he doesn't want to go there. Uh, but I don't know, I man, I would. <laughs> it's a lot of money. Uh, he has a lot of money, but I mean, that's crazy money. Uh, Fernando Santos uh, did have, the manager of Portugal did have a conversation, says, I did not like Ronaldo's reaction to being subbed on him being dropped. So everything revolves around Ronaldo. And there was even some questions whether he starts this game. And maybe it's a possibility that Fernando Santos says for this, I'm going with Rafael Leal. We will see what he can do. Um... Yeah, Ronaldo and Fernando Santos. Uh, remember there was that video of Fernando Santos shaking his head because all the questions were about Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, we'll see if it's, if it's too much to take. But he's got to be a big man. He's got to be a big boy here and say, hey, Ronaldo, you're not playing. I think some of the teammates would be relieved in some way, shape, or form. But Ronaldo is a game winner. And Switzerland knows that. Uh, Shakiri says, we can't take our eyes off of him. Uh, Switzerland coming off that really good 3-2 win against Serbia. I said if they scored another goal, then they would have uh, played Korea and Brazil would have played Portugal. That would have got us a, a surprise team into the, uh, into the next round. But uh, instead, it went this way. Very Switzerland now um, had some issues scoring goals, but they got the three goals against Serbia. My favorite goal of the competition, Remo Freuler scoring off a nice little ball by Shakiri, who scored a goal too. And uh, the flick, I believe it was from Vargas, and then Freuler able to put it on. This is the third meeting this year between these two. They played in Nations League. In June, Portugal won 4-zip, and that was in Lisbon. And then Switzerland won in Geneva 1-zip. So it is the rubber match here. Portugal looking to reach the quarterfinals for just the third time. Is that something? 1966 with Eusebio, and then 2006, the very beginning of Ronaldo, they made the quarterfinals. They haven't got beyond that. It's kind of crazy. We think about the Euros, but this isn't the Euros. This is the World Cup. And this should be, because of that, because of Portugal's lack of pedigree there, I think this would be a really tight game. So I'm, I'm predicting penalties. I'm saying the Swiss get through in penalties. There's a surprise for you, but it's another European team. The Soccer OG World Cup Daily. Check us out every day via podcast form where all podcasts are available right here on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. Like and subscribe. Do it as much as you can. Click it. We'll see you tomorrow.